to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Exodus 3, 17 says, And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Who likes milk and honey? Who likes one of those two things? More hands went, all right, there we go. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I, what does God say? I will stretch out my hand. And smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall come to pass that when you go, you're not even going to go out empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor of her that sojourneth in her house. And jewels of silver, jewels of gold. And he says, you're, when you leave Egypt, you ain't leaving them empty-handed. You're going to leave with something in your hand. But the passage continues into the next chapter. And because if you didn't know, the Bible was not originally written in chapters. That was divided as they made the translations, printing and things, which I'm thankful for. Because now imagine saying, go to the book of Exodus about 538 lines down. I mean, that'd be tough. So thankful for chapters. But it wasn't there originally. So we just continue on in Exodus 4. It says, and Moses, Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, what? is in thine hand. He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Kind of like some of you were fleeting, fledding, <laughs> fleeing from a giant spider at Caesar Michelle's house last night. And the Lord said, put forth in thine hand, take it by the tail. And some of you would have been out right there. You'd have quit. And he put forth the hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand, that ye may believe the Lord, uh, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And he says, verse 6, the Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. When he put, took it out, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into the bosom, plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Today, I want to speak on this topic. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? God, we love you. Thank you for what you've already done. You are powerful. We literally could leave this place, be happy. We felt your presence. We felt your power. But Lord, you're not done. I know that you want to still, your, your word wants to speak to us. Church, feel free to raise your voice. Don't just listen to me pray. God, we want... You to speak to us, touch our hearts and our minds, God, that, that we would be open, that we would be receptive, that, Lord, although there are other things going on in our lives, let us be present mentally over these next few moments as we, as we tune in to what it is that you want to accomplish before we leave this sanctuary today. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. God's people, the Israelites, had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time. God said their time in Egyptian bondage was done, and he's going to take them to their land of promise. But here's the thing about God. 
He chooses to do miraculous things through ordinary people. Say, that's me. I know you might think you're extraordinary, and you are, but in this plane, let's just call us all ordinary people. He chooses to do supernatural things through the hands of natural man. God calls Moses to be the deliverer, and he says, you know what? I'm going to send you in a place where they've been, they've been in bondage for 430 years. In order for you to lead them out, it is going to take something supernatural. And Moses knew that. It's going to take a miracle. And Moses knew that. So he was like, eh, this is going to be a tough one. And so it's going to take divine interaction, something that goes beyond the realm of reason, of what's ordinary. And this is why God starts by saying in Exodus 3.20, he says, I will stretch out my hand. Why? Because Moses, you can't walk in there and do anything without me. I'm going to stretch out my hand. He clearly says, my hand will do the miracles. My hand will win the victory. My hand will accomplish what I want to accomplish. But here's the catch. He goes on from there and he says, but here's the thing. I want to use your hand as my instrument. I want to use your hand as the conduit to which my hand will flow through. Look at how many times the Lord speaks to Moses about what's in his hand. For two, he says, what is it in thine hand? He's like, uh, a rod. Exodus 4.4, 4, he says, put forth thine hand. Exodus 4.6, put now thine hand. Exodus 4.7, put now thine hand. He has him, he, he, he's, he's doing this no doubt on purpose, exercising his hand. What's in your hand? I'm talking to you about what's in my hand, but now what's in your hand? It's a rod, it's just a rod. No doubt, Moses was not like, man, it's a rod. He's like, a rod? You know, that's how I imagine. We don't get the voice inflection in Scripture. But I can't imagine Moses was extra proud of his rod that he carried every day of his life, probably. He's just like, uh, a rod? God says, throw it on the ground. Pick it back up. Put your hand in your bosom. Oh, wow. Well, put it back. He's, he's, he's constantly getting Moses looking at his hand. It's no accident that God talks continually about the hand because God could have chosen, he could have went down, he could have walked into Egypt himself, he could have, there could have been a theophany, he could have said, I took on human flesh, I took care of it myself. He chooses not to do this. Why? Because God has a theme throughout the entire Bible where he chooses to do miraculous things through average human beings. That's why God says, hey, the rod, he didn't say, let me give you a new rod. This is what we're doing a lot of times in churches today. Man, I want that to happen. I'm looking around for God's rod. <laughs> I, want, I want God's rod. I want God's voice in this. I want God's provision. I I'm just can't wait till God gives me what I need. But never does he say, check it out, check it out. That, that rod's old. Let me get you the new and improved 2022 rod. <laughs> this rod is, comes with Wi-Fi. It's Bluetooth enabled. <laughs> you can check social media right from the middle of the rod. 
And then that way, you'll never see anything done because you'll walk around with your head down on your rod like this all the time. He doesn't say, he says, what's currently in your hand? What do you have in your hand right now? Uh, the rod. That'll do. That there, that'll do. And so, I, I think I can use that rod to go ahead and accomplish what I want to accomplish here today. And God continued to do this throughout his word. And in one of the most famous stories of the Bible, when you think of famous stories, go ahead and think about that. What, what are the most famous stories in the Bible? Well, you could probably start to go, well, this one and this one and this one. No doubt, if you were to think long enough, one of the most famous stories is a young shepherd boy who walks up to a giant and pulls out a sling and some stone and a stone. And so you look at what God, what transpires for David to fight Goliath when no one else would. First Samuel 17, 38, Saul armed David with his armor and he put on a helmet and because he, because nobody else would fight Goliath, he said, send me a man. He's sitting there talking trash. Everyone's hiding out. Oh no, he's huge. David comes knowing no different. He's like, hey guys, you know, voice still probably cracking. Hey guys, I brought you food. Brought you cheese. They're like, dude, David, set it down. Get out of here. And David's like, well, you ain't doing nothing anyway. You know, probably the, the, the conceited little brother that maybe some of you had. You didn't, Pam, wherever you are. You had a kind one. <laughs> a kind, humble one. Um, but, no, so he shows up and he's like, yeah, you know, they've got the cheese, got the guy. Dad sent me this. And who's that guy? Why isn't anybody taking him down? Shut up. Get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. So he's like, well, I'll fight him. I killed a lion and a bear. I can take this guy because God was with me. So he goes to Saul. Saul's like, well, we ain't got nobody else volunteering. It's not like I have a line to go through. It's David or David. And so Saul says, here we go. I'm going to arm you with my armor. He put a helmet of brass on his head. He also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, and for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I can't go with these. I have not proved them. So David took them off. You understand what just happened there? That's King James English. A lot of you don't say essayed. So let's talk through that. He, he puts, on the, puts on the armor, says, you know, he's, he's, he might have been like, Because guess what? If he goes into battle and defeats Goliath, I think, I wonder if it goes down to history. Man, he killed him with Saul's armor. He killed him with Saul's sword. God wanted the glory here. David says, man, I can't go into a battle with something I've never even proven. I've never. This might not be much, but I am a rock star with this slingshot. And so he says, I am confident that for God to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, he needs nothing else other than what I already have in my hand. That's all he needs. God says, what do you got? Uh, I got this rod. That'll do. What do you got? Uh, I got this slingshot. That'll do. And so, David 
knew he was not called to use what was in someone else's hand. 1 Samuel 17, 40, he took his staff in his hand. I love that. Why does scripture not just say he went down, took care of business? No, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook. And what does it go down and say? His sling, his sling was in his hand. He went into the battle with the things that were he already put. I'm going with my rod. In my sling, I'm going into the biggest battle, definitely of my life, possibly of the biggest battle in the history of Israel. I'm going to walk down with what I've already had in my hand all along. Because if God's going to do it, just like he's done it in the past, see, faith is really, again, I've said this before, faith a lot of times people think is looking forward into, I just have to have faith for the next thing. But a lot of times faith is, is looking backward. It's going, hang on, each battle gets a little bit different, a little bit bigger, but here's the thing, God delivered me from a bear. God delivered me from a lion. So if he can do these things, then the next battle that's on the horizon, I'm confident that he can take care of that one too. And some of you have walked with God, and you've had God do things in your life, and sometimes you get frustrated because you're looking at the next battle going, I don't know what he's going to do. Well, maybe you just need to pause and go, hang on a second. Let's look backward because he's already brought me through a lot of different things to get me to this moment. And if he can do it then, he's going to do it again. And so he was, he, he said, I'm going to go with what's already in my hand. And so David goes, looks at the giant in 1 Samuel 17, 46 and says, this day, even Goliath comments, you come to me with sticks? What am I? Oh, he's, he's talking trash about what's in David's hand. Because that's like the enemy. The enemy is not going to make you confident about what's in your hand. The enemy is going to say, that's all you got. That's all you're bringing. That's all you have for the battle. That's all that you've been equipped with. Which would be really disheartening if, if the battle was predicated on us. He says, he walks up and says, this day the Lord will deliver thee into my hand. David understood God's will. He knew that God alone was going to be the one. David was not like, you know what? I've been working on my bench. I've just recently got four reps over 300. I think I can take this guy. I've been really, really working with the, I've been practicing aim. I, I'm pretty good. I got a bullseye out back in the field, and I can hit it six out of seven times. Like, he does not walk into this battle going, I'm really confident in the work I've put in. He, even, when he, even when he talks about the lion and the bear, he's not bragging about, like, I did this. He goes, God, listen, God helped me do this, so I know that he can help me do this. And so he goes up there, he slings a stone deep into Goliath's forehead, he approaches the dead Philistine, look what the scripture makes it a point to tell us this. 1 Samuel 17, 50, David prevailed with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Makes it a point, victory has never been about what's in our own hand. 
It has always been about the power of God's hand and what God can do through the hands of a man or a woman who walks in total faith, total surrender, that goes into the next set of situations in life going, oh, why? What happened? You're going to go through things that you're going to go, I don't know what's going on, why it happened, where is God? But when you walk into that next season of life going, but hold it. I might only have a rod, but God can use a rod. I might only have a sling, but God can use a sling. I might, I might be facing a giant in my life, but I already got past a bear and a lion. And so sometimes it's having that level of faith going, God, you have given me enough for this next battle. Not all four Gospels record every same exact story. Some are found in one, while another story might be found in another. There's one story, and a couple of stories, but this is one of them that is found in all four Gospels. This is the story of a young boy who came to hear Jesus speak, and it's unlike everyone else, he's, he sounds like a young boy that's smarter than the adults at that point, because he's the only one that brings a lunch. Like, why did everybody else not bring a lunch? Were they expecting him to preach shorter? I mean, you know, the, the, uh, that was for a couple of you that have an inside joke there, but um, they, they don't think I preach short enough sometimes. But, but he shows up with five loaves and two fish, figuring, you know what, I might get hungry at some point. Or he had a good mom, maybe, that said, you might get hungry at some point. Take this filet of fish and a Happy Meal with you or whatever. Not sure what the others were doing that day, but they get hungry and there's no lunch. And so Jesus says to the disciples, it's time. we got to feed this multitude. John 6, 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, saw a great company, he said to Philip, whence shall we buy bread and that these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself already knew what he was going to do. Do you know that you have a situation in your life? No doubt. That's not a prophetic word. It's just common sense. you got enough people here watching online. You have a situation in your life. Do you know that God already knows how he's going to handle it? You're getting upset stomachs, sweating, not sleeping at night. Your blood pressure is rising, and God already knows how he's going to handle that situation. <laughs> Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is insufficient for them. He says, that, that's going to take, there ain't no way. I can't, we can't feed them. We can't afford to feed them. We don't have enough food to feed them. And Philip's only looking in his own hand. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, oh, there's a lad here. At least this guy, he seems a little more advanced than Philip. He's like, wait, we got a lad here. We got some extra feet. He's got five loaves and two fish. Um... But I still can't fathom it. How are we going to feed them all to do five loaves and two? This ain't making sense. I, I counted it. I'm sorry. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Andrew appears to be trying to have faith, but he still can't get past the calculations and the math. And Jesus says, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. That's just the men. You got women and children too that I didn't even count there. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down and likewise uh, of the fishes as much as they would. Two important things just took place right there. Number one, the young boy had to be willing to give the five loaves and two fish. I do not think, I do not think that they were like, 
I mean, they're like, <laughs> I don't think they ripped the five loaves and two fish out of his hands. I think it was an offering. It was, I can eat or I can give Jesus a chance to feed everybody. I've heard about this guy. There's some pretty amazing stories out there. So if he's asking something from me, there might be a good reason. Worst comes to worst, I fast today. But maybe, just maybe, I might put something in his hands. And maybe today a miracle might take place. So then he does that. Jesus blesses and breaks. And what could he have done? He could have made food appear in front of every single person. He could have said, come and see me so I can receive the glory. I'll go up and sit on my chair and everybody can come up and bow before you as I hand you food and give you your ration. But that's not the way the Lord works. That's not also not the way we should lead in churches today either. He says, I want to empower the people around me. And here's what I'm going to do. I performed the miracle. I went ahead and multiplied the golden purse <laughs> with the bow on it. Is this yours? It is? All right. I didn't even know that. You have a picture of your dad in here? No? Okay. So I went ahead and multiplied the, by the way, that's my daughter there in the front row. I multiplied the golden, and the weird thing is I probably bought this, but <laughs> I multiplied the golden purse with the bow on it. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my disciples. Here, you take this, you take this, you take this, and you go hand it to everybody. Why did Jesus do that? Well, I think Jesus wanted the disciples to get used to handling the miracle. I can go ahead and do the miracle myself, but you need to be a part of this. I am going to put the miracle in your hands, and you're going to distribute that because you, as my follower, I want you to start understanding. I'm, I'm certainly the one who does the miracles. But like I have always done through the whole Bible, I want to put the miracle into your hand and let you understand that when you have me flowing through you, you can do anything. Anything. He could have said, no way, I ain't giving up my lunch. But I, as I look at this, I can't help make the connection. And I know church, people sometimes give a bad rap to churches and about money. But when you go to Malachi, when you go to that scripture in Malachi, I can't help making this connection to Malachi 3.8 where it says, will a man rob God? He says, you have robbed me, but you say that wherein have we robbed thee? And he says, in tithes and offerings. He's, well, uh, verse 9. You are cursed with a curse. Why? Because you're withholding something that belongs to me. The tithe is the Lord's, and that first 10% belongs to God. He says, and you're cursed with a curse because you've robbed me. Verse 10, he says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me. I love that. He doesn't just say have faith. He says, prove me. In other words, like, come on, bring it on. Watch what I can do. Challenge me on this one. Yet we, we struggle with this. Why? Because I like my five loaves and two fish. And this is my meal. And I don't want to give up my five loaves and two fish. What if I give it to Jesus and he just eats it and hands it to Andrew and Simon. And they just have lunch and I'm, a, I'm a hungry. 
After all, I worked hard for this five loaves and two fish. I don't want to share it with anybody. This is my lunch. And today we have people that will say, this is my money. I worked hard for this. I don't want to put it in Jesus' hands. I want this to provide for me. And he says, but hold it. You've robbed me. He says, and if you will just prove me, I'm going to give you more than you can handle. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out my blessing so great that you thought your five loaves and two fish were a big deal. Wait until I'm done. Okay? In verse 11, I will rebuke the devil. I'm not just going to bless you, but I'm actually going to shield you from things that could try to take from you. And then uh, verse 12, and all the nations shall be blessed for you shall be a delightsome land. I want to make it, you're so concerned, he's telling his people, about just providing for you. I'm so much bigger than this that if you will put that amount that I'm asking for, if you'll put it in my hand, I want to actually use you to provide for all other entire nations. But yet when we get consumed with the five loaves and two fish, he says thousands of people could be blessed right now if you will simply put that amount into my hand. And I look at this and I go, he asks us for a tithe, a 10%, an offering, and we will sometimes struggle with that. Oh, this is my five loaves and two fish. This is what I've worked for. But when I will just take this and put it into the hand of the Lord, he has a way of multiplying it. You say, well, I just don't understand. Five bucks is five bucks. You can't multiply five bucks. Tell that to Jesus when he says, I can make, I can feed thousand, probably 10, 15,000 people with one happy meal from McDonald's. Okay? That's pretty amazing. He can multiply things. And so I just wonder when you say, I'm struggling financially, what kind of blessings are we lacking because we're just saying, I want my five loaves and two fish. I want to provide for my family and I want to eat my own lunch. When Jesus is saying, no, no, no. And if you will give me that 10%, I will multiply it in such a way that I will literally pour that the blessings from heaven's window onto your life, I will go ahead and, and, and shield you from the things that will try to take from you. But here's the key. It's in your hand right now. Will you trust me enough to put it in my hand? Essentially, he's saying, do you feel comfortable being your own provider? Or will you let me take a crack at it? But that is a level of faith to do such a thing. Some of you are worried about provision and God has already provided for you. It's in your hand. It's sitting in your hand. But you're not living in a level of abundance because you're refusing to bring it and put it in the Lord's hand. You're afraid to place what's in your hand in the Lord's hand because you're afraid that it might not be enough. Simple math shows five loaves, two fish, 10,000 people, not going to work. Simple math in your life says, man, if I live a month, I give God that $350 or whatever it is. I might not be able to pay all of these other things that are calling for my resources. So I just can't live in that level of faith. I'm going to try and provide for myself. 
and you're doing an okay job. But God's saying, I don't want to just give you five loaves and two fish to have you eat one lunch. I want to use your life to begin to not only bless you, but that others come to you for blessing. That's the kind of life that God wants us to. Now, I'm not just saying that God wants everybody rich. Don't misunderstand me and take me as seeing I'm preaching some prosperity doctrine. I'm not doing that. But I'm talking about that God is calling us to live in a level of faith where we say, I don't care if it's a rod. I don't care if it's a sling. I don't care if it's $350. I'm willing to put whatever I have into your hand, if it's five loaves and two fish, whatever I have, I'm going to put it in your hand because if you can take and multiply and take down giants and deliver people after 430 years of bondage and you can say, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven, I want to be a part of whatever it is that you're doing. Because rarely will God's plan make sense, but one thing seems to be a constant. He uses what's already in your hand. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7, he says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah and cried out. She said, My husband who served you is dead. You know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elijah said? And then he says this. He does not say, well, we need to try and round up money. We need to start a GoFundMe page. He just says, what do you have in your house? You mean what I have in my house? If I had something valuable in my house, I wouldn't be talking to you in the first place. I'd have paid the creditors off. What do you have in your house? <laughs> Nothing. I got nothing except a flask of olive oil. I ain't going to do nothing. Might as well have five loaves and two fish for 15,000 people. I got a little thing of olive oil. And Elisha says, tell me enough. Tell me what you already have. Too often? We're trying to tell God, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough money, not enough talent, not enough experience, not enough good looks, not enough anointing. I just, we don't have the right amount. We don't have the right name. But God does not care about what you don't have. He just wants what you do have. And so you can say here, well, I watch the youth group can say, well, they're up there singing, playing a musical instrument. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. They wear nicer clothes than I do. You know what? That never changes. Adults do the same thing. And people look around. Well, they have a better name. They've been in it longer. They've preached. They, I'll never be a preacher. Like, this is the only thing that goes on in a church. No, God has said, I have given you what I've called you to be. And I've put that in you. And so when you are constantly saying, I need more, I, 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 I can't wait for God to provide. In essence, we're saying, God, I wish you gave me more than what you already gave me. And since when does God need more than what you already have? 
And so Elisha says, borrow as many empty jars as you can for your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside as it's filled. Could you imagine being one of her sons at that moment? Mom, what are we doing? Do you see this olive oil? Yeah? Do you see all these jars? Yeah, Mom, are you all right? Mom, you need to sit down. Well, the man of God said that God's provision's already in the house. So here, honey, just take this and start pouring. And let's just go ahead and take what we have and put it in the hands of God and see what God can do with it. <laughs> and so... She did what she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. They filled one after another. Soon every container was filled to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to her sons. There aren't any more. And the oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what happened, he said, all right, now go sell your olive oil, pay your debts, and your sons can live with what's left over. He didn't seem stressed about it. Tell me your story. Yeah, okay, what do you got in your house? That'll work. Do that. Here's what you should do. Yep, pay it off. And why? Because God's already given you your provision, what's in your house, but you have to put it in the hands of God. He waits for you to bring it to him, to trust him enough. God knows what you have, and he knows what you're capable of. Here's the thing where we lack in humanity. Even now as I'm preaching this message, I feel resistance. Because right now, there are people in the sound of my voice that are going, cool story. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how little I have. You don't, I don't even know where to start. As if your story is somehow totally unique to everybody else who's lived before you, including a widow with two sons who has creditors knocking on her door, willing to take her sons into slavery, and the only thing she has is a tiny vial of olive oil. To a man that's called to walk into a place where his people have been slaves for 430 years, there is no hope, and he's just going to walk in with his rod and be like, hey, I'm here with the rod, and you got to let everybody go now. Yeah, because that normally works, right? You walk up to a trained warrior that is way up there and just come out with your rod and your sling and be like, hey, man, you ready to fight? <laughs> to the point where the guy's laughing at him. What are you, this is who you're, are you guys kidding me right now? God, the Bible is filled. I mean, I could go through, I, I'm already, I, don't, I, I can't keep going. I'll be out of time. And I know some of you are thankful for that. But I could keep going. The Bible is jam-packed with stories that make no sense at all. No sense. I mean, like, if I was going to change the world, I wouldn't have gone to shepherds and tax collectors and fishermen. Okay, he, I would have been like, I'm taking resumes. If you want to change the world, give me your references. I'm going to check that. He just goes and says, nobody respects fishermen. Nobody respects the tax code. They hate the, you know what? 
watch, watch, just check this out. Watch what I can do with a willing vessel who walks in faith, who nobody else says has anything, any value. Just check this out. But yet we sit here in 2022 going, I wish I could do this. I'd love to do this. One day I wish I could do this. I just don't have the name. I don't have the experience. I don't have the gifting. I, I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm just, read through sometimes. I should preach a message called the excuses in the Bible. Lord, I'm slow to speak. Lord, I stutter. Lord, I'm not much value. I, my, my family, and here we are in 2022 doing the same thing, dreaming about what we could be, but we look around at the gifts that God gave someone else, and we say, well, see, I'm probably not going to amount to much, and God is simply looking at us going, I gave you a sling. What's in your hand? I gave you a rod. What's in your hand? You came to lunch with five loaves and two fish? What's in your house? Just a vial of oil? And every time he goes, that's all that I need to do supernatural things. That is all that I need to do supernatural things. Why? Because we think today, we think God has called us to try to make something happen. You got to leave this place and go make it happen. We think we are the ones that have to come up with the money. Okay? I said this in the meeting yesterday. Right now with the cost of materials, they say your church will be $2.5 million to build. Great. We can do this. Woo. And then you go to break the ground. They say, you know what? It looks like it's going to be more like five. Five million? Yes, Will you take 2.5? But I don't lose sleep. I don't stay up at night going, oh, my God, how am I going to build my church? It's not my church. And I would be, I'd be so foolish to think that somehow I want to build God's church more than God wants to build his church. So I go, well... Man, I'm going to grab the popcorn and sit back in this comfortable chair because I cannot wait to see how you're going to work this one out. When you do, I'm going to stand up and open my big mouth at every point that I can. I'll shout it to every pastor that's in a building program about what God does because right now I have no idea how he's going to do it. But if I could just tell you, I can't, I can't help as I'm preaching right now to feel something in my spirit that says the provision's already in the house. I don't know who's got it. Maybe you don't have it yet either. Maybe all you got is five loaves and two fish. Go, my Lord, I wish I could give $2.5 million. But God might be looking around at somebody going, hey, what's in your house? What's in your hand? You know what? If you put that in my hand, I'll go ahead and multiply that. Watch what I can do. Because here we are going, oh, I wish Patrick Mahomes would pay his tithes to Refuge Church. You know what? Go Chiefs. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to come here for God to build his church. I'm, I'm just preaching this going. I'm wondering if God's already going, you know what? The provision's already in the house. It's already in the house. It's already here. I don't know what God's going to do. I, I'm not really sure. All I know is we're nearing the end of what 
we can do. And what we can do might only be five loaves and two fish. It might only be a slingshot. It might only be a rod. It might only be a, a vial of oil. But when we say, hey, God, here's all I got. I'm not going to sit here and hold on to it and say, I wish I had what someone else had. This is what you gave me. So I'm going to take what you gave me. I'm going to put it in your hands and just give you a shot to be God. Maybe that needs to happen in an altar today. When you know what, you've prayed for somebody. you prayed for yourself so many times that you've gotten discouraged and stopped praying. Just bring yourself to an altar again and say, God, I, here's the thing. I don't know if you're going to heal me today. I don't know if you're going to fill me today with your spirit. I'm not sure, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to get myself up to that altar, and I'm going to give you a shot to be who you said you are. Why? Because Psalm 62.11 says, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this. The power does not belong to David, to Moses, to the widow, to the boy with the five loaves and two fish. The power belongeth to God. And here we are in 2022, and you're trying to do things for God, and I'm trying to do things for God, and it still hasn't changed. The power does not belong to me or to anyone in this building the power for your situation it is only in one hand but that hand wants to put it into your hand that hand belongs to God but God has always chosen and says but when I do the miracle let me take the miraculous things and let me put it in your hand so you can feel it why because I'm calling you to go reach a lost in a dying world and you better know what a miracle feels like God's power wasn't going to deliver the Israelites until Moses understood. God can use what's in my hand. Do you know these great stories? God was not going to defeat a giant. He could have, he could have just, he did it before in scripture when somebody disobeyed him. Goliath could have been standing there talking trash and the ground could have just opened and the, the giant would have just disappeared in the earth. God could have done that. But he was not stepping in. Until a young man with faith said, let me go on the battlefield with what he's already given me. God was not going to multiply resources or currency in the hand of a young believer until that young man said, let me go ahead and put what's in my hands into your hands and see what you can do with it. God was not going to help a widow until she acted upon the word of the man of God and she looked at what was in her house. Some of you are sitting here and you're waiting for the miracle to come, the provision to come, the anointing to come, the talent to come. And you're waiting for some special speaker, singing group, a word from God, someone to lay hands on you at an altar. And you're like, I just feel God might be calling me, but I lack this, 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 and this. Instead of looking at what you are lacking, why? Why don't you look at what you have been given? Why don't you look at yourself and say, what is it? I don't care how minute it is, how small it is. What do I currently possess in my hand that God could use for his glory? What is it? Instead of me looking for the next thing, I come to you for, with a word from God today. You keep waiting for the special day, the special time, the special person. The Israelites were waiting for the special person to come to Egypt, and they're waiting for that person against the Philippines. 
Philistines and, and, and the thought that Elijah would just walk in. And she, she was thinking Elijah would just walk in and do the miracle. But Elijah said, no, I'm not doing the miracle. Let's look at what you already have in your house. Don't just be looking around at somebody else, waiting someone else to bring the miracle. Oh, I, oh we're building a church. I can't wait for some millionaire to come here and give us $2.5 million. What if it's you? I just said that, and most of us just, yeah, right, it'd be nice. Right? But in our heads, God's not big enough. I want all of us, every service, every prayer meeting, every Wednesday night, every time the kids go downstairs, I want every person that's in this place Every time we get together, every time we're not together, to walk going, I don't know, I don't have the answers, but here's the thing. God is big enough. God is big enough. Yeah, but, yeah, but my mom's got cancer. God is big enough. Yeah, but there's a huge debt that I owe. God is big enough. Yeah, but I've applied for a job that's in way over. I'm not even qualified, qualified for it. And God is big enough. My marriage has been on the rocks for a long time. God is big enough. Oh, I, but I've been having some mental issues. I've been struggling with things. They're trying to put me on medicine, but the medicine makes me feel terrible, and I hate it. God is big enough. And so we just, if we could just start walking, going, God, I'm just going to give you a chance to be God. God, I know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but if I look backward, I, I, there was a time where I faced a lion. There was a time that I faced a bear. And you know what? I know that this next giant that I'm facing, I know that you are capable. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to go onto the battlefield, and I'm going to go with what I already have in my hand, and I'm just going to give you a chance today. Would you stand to your feet this morning, this afternoon. The miracle is already in the house. I believe it. It's just, I think for some of us, you're holding on to some things that, that you're holding on to pressure and anxiety of things. And you're just going, I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I don't know how my job's going to work out. I don't know how my marriage is going to work out. My finance is going to work out. The church, the ministry. I don't know what God's calling me to do. And we're sitting here anxious about all of these things. And God is speaking today. And he's saying, the miracle is already in your house. What you need is already in your hand. It doesn't have to be something that you're waiting on that someday it's going to come, like, like when the virgin birth took place, and all of a sudden there was a huge star in the sky, and the angels starting singing, singing an angelic chorus. Some of us are waiting for this to happen, but when he came, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. He has already given you everything you need to do whatever he's called you to do. You don't have to keep looking and waiting and wondering and saying, I just wish, I just wish, I just wish. God has put it in your hand. I think some of us right now, if you would, just raise your hand to the air, and when that hand is in the air and surrender and worship to him, just look up at that hand right there and go, God, you know, it's not by my, not by my power, but for some some reason you have always chosen to take your hand and do miraculous things and you put it in this hand right here that hand that you have raised your own hand God is wanting to use that hand to provide God's wanting to use that hand to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover God's wanting to use that hand to minister to children God's using wanting to use that hand to go touch those in a Bible study and teach them the Word of God and you're saying well I've just never been qualified to do these things 
What in the world? God has given you everything you need. Why are you waiting? Take what he's put in your hand and go to Egypt. Take what he's put in your hand and start pouring the oil. Take what he's put in your hand and get out on the battlefield. Take what he's put in your hand and say, I'm going to put it in the hands of Jesus and see if he can multiply it. You have it. What's in your hand is all that you need right now. I invite you to find a place to pray. And maybe today God's going to lay someone on your heart to pray with. I just invite you right now to come to this altar and to just say, Jesus, right now, I'm bringing you what I have in my hand. I'm coming right now and I'm going to put this in your hand. I'm going to lay it out in front of you. I'm sick and tired of carrying this level of anxiety and fear and frustration. God, I'm going to put this on the altar right now. I'm going to put what was in my hand and I'm going to put it in your hand because I know that if I do that, if I do that, miraculous things can take place. Extraordinary things can take place. Things that can't be explained or described, they can take place when I put what I have in my hand to give it to you. God, I believe that the provision's in the house. I believe, Lord Jesus, that the miracle's already in the hand. God, I pray, speak to some men, women, and children today. Lord God, that they would stop living in fear, but look backwards and say, he already beat the bear. He already beat the lion. I know that this next giant I'm facing, he's got it. I'm not, I'm not living in fear. He's got it. Oh, in Jesus' name.